You're listening to The Business Marketing Show, episode number 53. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Welcome to the Business Marketing Show. I'm your host, Brendan. I'm here with my co-host, Ed. And uh, today, we're here to talk to you about e-commerce marketing and e-commerce and online retail marketing blueprint for 2016. How are you today, Ed? Good. Thanks, Brendan. How about yourself, buddy? Yeah, I'm pretty good. That is good. We've uh, been having some fun with our internet connection today, <laughs> which is often the way when you go to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um but we have gotten around some issues and we're ready to go. So <laughs> let's rock and roll. E-commerce, one of Brendan's favorite subjects. That's true. And, and uh, many people out there listening who have e-commerce websites, I'm sure, will benefit from what we have to say today. So we're going to give them a blueprint on e-commerce, as you said. So let's get cracking. Yeah. So pretty much the way we work directly with clients, I guess. Um, and e-commerce is very different to a traditional small business or bricks and mortar business, a, a business that has a physical location that people go to. Um, uh, so the strategy is very different. Um, and if you have a physical retail presence and an online store, then really you're going to have to run two strategies side by side because the, the strategy to make both of them work from a, a web and online marketing perspective is quite different. So. Yeah. I guess we'll run through, we've chunked it down into, I think, five different, I guess, steps, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yep. So probably, well, the first step would be to understand your business and the underlying fundamentals of the business. So I guess the, probably the easiest part of that would be determining whether your product is kind of a problem-solution product where people have a problem and your product is a solution to it. Um, or in other words, whether there's active demand for the product or is it more of a, a luxury product where people there's no active demand for it but potentially your market's very interested in it if you get in front of them. Um, and the reason why that's kind of the first step is because depending on whether there's active demand, in, now active demand we're talking about people searching for the product online, um, you know, typing things into Google. Um, so depending on whether there's active demand or not, will really determine what the strategy is for driving traffic to the website and really, the, I guess, the overall online marketing strategy for the business. Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, understanding your business, so how do people go about um, working through that process? So what is it that they need to do? <clears throat> well, I guess they probably know it instinctually that, you know, is, it a, you know, is the product a solution to a problem or is it a a nice-to-have product, I guess. Um, so it really is a case of are people going to be Googling for that particular product or or a solution to a particular problem? I think it's pretty straightforward, but um, really important to know at the outset because some tools aren't going to work. Like if there's, no, if there's nobody searching for the product, then something like AdWords or SEO is not really going to generate a return, whereas something like maybe Facebook ads or marketing on Instagram and Pinterest might be a much better channel. So, for example, you know, 
types of products that would fall into, I guess, the realm of not active demand or people not actively searching in Google would be things like skincare products, yeah, um, like moisturizers and things like that. People typically don't go to Google and um, you know search for buy moisturizer online. It doesn't really work like that. They, you know, they see a brand, they try a product, they like it. You know, there's particular elements around the brand or brand story that resonate with them. You know, the product's organic or, you know, it includes coconut oil or, or something along those lines. But, you know, that's a good example. Things like skincare, cosmetics don't really, they're not really a problem solution business uh, or product in, in the sense that people are actively looking in Google for it. Yeah, okay. And also whether their product is a commodity item, I suppose, or whether it's something unique. I mean, they could have a product that they've created that solves a, prom- a problem that is being searched on a lot that is that is different to what everyone else has. I suppose that's, that's a good uh, selling um, opportunity if they do have something that's unique. Uh, if, as opposed to trying to sell a product that is what I, technically you would classify as a commodity because they can get it anywhere and people mm-hmm. are just price comparison shopping to yep. see who has the best price or the best value associated with the product. So, Yeah, yeah. And the, the strategy is also going to be different depending on whether it's uh, your product you're selling. You might have, you know, it's your brand and your products and you're selling on, you know, you have a website for the product. And you might have two or three products or variations of it, um, and you're selling directly on there, or whether you're just, you know, like an online music store, like Didgeridoo Breath, online Didgeridoo store selling products made by other people. So that's also going to determine what strategy to use, or you know, whether particular tactics or tools are going to work well or not. Um, other things to really be clear on is whether your target market is your country or whether it's worldwide. So really that decision needs to be made from the outset. Are you shipping worldwide or are you shipping locally? Um, and this might seem like an obvious one, but it's not really because I come across a lot of new-ish e-commerce businesses that aren't really clear on whether they're focused solely, in particular, focused solely on Australia or they're shipping overseas. They kind of will ship overseas, but if people ask for it, that's a bit wishy-washy. But yeah. I think it's uh, important that you're absolutely clear whether are you worldwide shipping or are you shipping locally because that has downstream effects on, again, the marketing, budgets required, even down to the domain name. If you want to ship worldwide and you're based in Australia, then that's going to be you know, you're probably going to want a .com domain name versus a .com.au domain name. So yep. um, being clear on these things at the outset, they, they do have downstream effects that you're probably not aware of once you start down this path, I guess. Yeah, okay. And probably the other one as well is, which we talk about pretty regularly, is the, the price of the product, um, whether it's a high-priced product or a low-priced product. Um, and the complexity of the sale. So is the sale complex and the, do they need to be educated before they buy or is it a case of they hit the website, they see the product, they know that's exactly what they want, they hit the buy button and check out. So that's also going to determine whether you're going to need people on the phone. So particularly if it's a, a high dollar item, like you, you know, once you get above 500 or or $1,000, people will probably want to talk to you on the phone or they're going to have questions about the product. So... It's, you're going to need a different strategy in terms of sales there and customer service. So yeah. these are all important things to be aware of because you know a $50 product, someone's happy to search it on Google, find you, 
you know, poke around, maybe look at the, the reviews or testimonials on you, on your business or the product, and then, you know, their confidence that, that, you know, if they check out and buy this product, you know, if worst case scenario happens, then they lose 50 bucks. But it's $1,000. It's, you know, a very different scenario. People are going to want to know more about you. They might come back to the website multiple times. They're going to have questions before they come in. Okay, so we'll move on to number two now, Brendan, which is we have on the list here, using the right tech. So we're talking about what sort of technology tools we need to uh, to work with and get the most happening from. So what do we got? Well, this is uh, probably the big one in the e-commerce space is the CMS. And the reason why the CMS is of extra importance for an e-commerce business is that it actually forms, it's not just the thing that drives the website. Um, it actually is the business system as well. So the business runs on top of it effectively. So orders and customers and everything else that's going on is managed through um, that CMS typically. And um, we'll, we'll it, clarify just for those who don't know what a CMS is because we just take it for granted. Uh, yeah. we, we've got lots of internal speak that we have uh, in the in the tech world and marketing world and Online is particularly bad. We have more acronyms than you can poke a stick at. So CMS stands for Content Management System. Correct. <laughs> Sorry, Brad. <Brandon. laughs> Let me lose my train of thought, Ed. No. Uh, right. So, yeah, so the CMS is also a business system. So if you have the wrong CMS, then, you know, the mechanics, the internal mechanics, forget about the website stuff, the internal mechanics of the business are going to struggle, particularly if you're, you end up doing a lot of orders. Um, that said, for bigger businesses, you can get bolt-on platforms that will take that bit out and they do it yeah. a lot better and they do it at scale. Um, but there's some other reasons as well why the CMS is really important. And the other big one, take the designer side, is the marketing features that that platform supports. So the most up-to-date plat- platforms and our current platform of choice for e-commerce is Shopify, so the most current platforms will support things like Google Shopping, price feeds, mm. they'll support abandoned cart email systems, and they will have, they have an app store environment, so if you want functionality or extra features or a particular way to do shipping or whatever it is, um, or a particular payment gateway, the leading CMSs will typically support it, whereas if you have something that is um, it's an old CMS. It's not going to support those new standards that might have features missing that mean your SEO isn't as good or, or things like that. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So, so when in, talk, in terms of CMS, because we talk about WordPress all the time, which is a CMS, and it's our preferred platform for general business websites and, and things like that. But when it comes to e-commerce, we're, we're talking about using things like Shopify. So at what point should someone consider moving away from WordPress if they're having some sort of e-commerce um, platform that they want to use into Shopify? Is there a num- like is it a number of products or is it just wise to forget about WordPress from the very beginning and uh, and structure everything moving forward that you're going to expand and that you want to be on the right platform? It's a good question. I think it depends on the type of e-commerce business you have. Um, so Shopify can be bolted into WordPress. So if you just really have, I mean, there's a difference between being an online store and being a company that builds products. So if you're a company that builds products and you have three or four products and that's it, yeah. then 
potentially you could have a WordPress site and then Shopify integrated under that. But again, it really depends on how many orders you're doing and the size of the business. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some solutions we've talked about before. WooCommerce for WordPress is probably the leading e-commerce WordPress plugin, but then you run up against all sorts of issues there where if it needs 20 different plugins to give you all the features you want, then if you update one, the other ones break, you're still maintaining it yourself. Um, You've got security implications to take into account because you need to manage your own encryption and you're also storing customer details and maybe even payment details in the site. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then so for all that hassle, then you think, okay, well, if I go for the basic Shopify account, which is like $25, $30 a month, something like that, um, then it's a bit it's a bit of a no brainer really, because that is yeah. taken all of those things you just mentioned are taken care of by Shopify. Yeah, yeah. And Shopify is actually you know, its feature set is quite similar to WordPress these days. It has a very good theme store or template library where you can buy themes and templates for it. It's got a good app environment. Mm. You know, like WordPress has a lot of plugins. Shopify has a lot of apps. It's reliable. It's fast. They have 24-hour support. The support's a big one as well, I think, with the e-commerce, yeah. which a lot of people don't take into account because an e-commerce business runs 24-7, so it's very different to a regular website in that you know, a typical small business website will have peaks and troughs in the traffic. If you're serving a local area, then at 3 a.m. in the morning, there's probably not going to be anybody on your site, most likely. Whereas an e-commerce business that's serving, say, global market, there's going to be people on there 24-7. So, Yeah, very um, very good point. You want to be able to contact someone if something breaks or something's not working, you want to be able to get in touch with someone ASAP because time, time is money. And if it's broken, you're not getting orders. So very yeah, good yeah. point. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I think the CMS is a, a, probably the major decision in terms of technology stack. And then there's other ones you know, that are important as well, like email marketing platform. I, probably if you're starting off, MailChimp is probably a good place to start because it's a free tool. It's very easy to use and you can DIY. And then on the advanced end of e-commerce email marketing, there's tools like Klaviyo, which are really good, but they're quite pricey if you're just starting out. Um, then you've got email hosting like Google Apps or Office 365 for email hosting. And we've talked about that in the past that even more so, well, email is mission critical in today's business environment, but even more so in an e-commerce business because it's probably, in terms of customer communication, it's probably the channel that's going to get used the most, even more than the telephone. And then on top of that, you probably would be wise once you have some momentum to have some sort of support ticket system, tracking system where you track customer inquiries through a ticket system rather than just having them hit an inbox because once you get more than three or four customer inquiries a day, it's going to be very hard to keep track of them and they're okay. absolutely going to get lost. So Something like Zendesk is what you're referring to there, I'm sure. Yeah, yep. so for one of our, the businesses I'm involved with, we have a Zendesk account that costs 20 bucks a year and that's that's all it needs. It, it can support three customer service staff. So $20 a year? Twenty dollars a year. So, really, they, is that all? Is that all it is for, for Zendesk? So it costs, yeah, it's cost, I think it's twenty dollars a year for up to three agents, customer service agents. But then once it's once you go over that limit, it gets a lot more pricey. So I so we have a Zendesk account for the search engine shop as well. That's how we run run our jobs out of, and I think we're spending two hundred bucks a month on it, two fifty a month. So okay, but sorry, didn't you say twenty dollars a year? 
Twenty dollars a year for the base level. That for the, okay, right. That just seems that seems really really cheap. I don't think I've, there's not very many things you can get for twenty dollars a year. Twenty dollars a month, but twenty dollars a year. So that's good. I so, think that's effectively like their free version. So they're, they're free. Okay, free, okay. They charge something. Yeah. So, so yeah, we've had that good. That free that twenty dollar a month account, uh, twenty dollar a year account for I think four years now. So and it's worked great, and there's been thousands of customer service requests through it, and. Yeah, it's it, it's a, a lot better than having the the customer service requests go through the inbox. Yeah, and it's a simple bolt-on plugin um, for things like WordPress, correct? And also for Shopify, I believe. Yeah, effectively, the emails just get their customers' email or support mailbox, or they fill out stuff a form on the website and it goes straight into the ticket system. Yeah. So. So, there's a bit of a learning curve around it because there's like automations you can set up. Like it will automatically respond to customer inquiries and give them the answers to the most common requests, like password resets, things about pricing, whether you you know, take credit card or PayPal or whatever. So okay. There is a little bit of a learning curve around most ticket systems, but it still will cut out a lot of work and it will just make handling the customer facing stuff a lot easier. Awesome. So digging a little bit deeper with the the email, because a lot of people get these confused in terms of your email system that you mentioned using something like Google Apps or Office 365 or or whatever you're using for your just sort of day-to-day communication, which is very different to what we're talking about in terms of MailChimp because MailChimp is an email marketing platform where you can have uh, things set up like email uh, autoresponders, so a a sequence of emails that get sent out to someone when they sign up for something, they may download a free report or an e-book and it gets them in the funnel. So I think quite often when I talk to clients, they haven't been able to distinguish the difference between the two. They think they're all the same thing, but they're actually two separate services. So maybe you want to just expand on that a little bit. Well, I guess one is one's the email hosting, right? It's what your email everyday email account runs off. Yep, yep. So that would be ed at onlineimpact.com.au or Brendan at the search engine shop.com. Yep, um, exactly. So, so that's, that's our, our business day-to-day emails, or it could be accounts at or whatever. So that's what we're using those for. Yep. Email in and out. Yep. And then something like MailChimp is an email marketing tool. So you can send – so at the base level, like you know, probably they're – the email marketing technique most people are familiar with is to have a newsletter list, so yep. a regular newsletter that goes out mm-hmm. and people can subscribe to it on your website or unsubscribe from the emails directly. Um, but in the e-commerce space, email marketing is one of the most powerful marketing channels. So with email marketing tools, and MailChimp doesn't necessarily do this, but you can do things like abandoned cart emails where people come to the checkout, fill up a cart but don't check out. You can automatically email them and Ask them what's up, why didn't they check out, did they need help? Um, that's one type of email marketing. Uh, you can do other things like you've said, like a you know have a sequence, like a buyer's guide sequence or something like that. Yep. So you know, typically these things are done out of an email marketing tool and as a starting point, MailChimp would be the cheapest and easiest way to get in, particularly for someone who's DIYing or doing a lot of this stuff themselves. Cool, awesome. All right. Anything else with those additional uh, tech tools? I mean, there's there's really literally dozens of other things we could talk about, but they're the core things to do with having using the right tech, so knowing what CMS you need to use moving forward, and having a bit of foresight as to 
whether you're going to be selling a lot of products or just just a few, which could determine what your you choose as a platform. Yep. So great. Okay. Next on the list, we're going to move along to number three, which is traffic. Yeah. Getting visitors to the site. Yes, because all of these things that we spoke about before <laughs> are lovely. And if you have a really great looking website and it's got all the bells and whistles and everything set up and you've got your email marketing campaigns there and uh, if you don't have anyone come to the website, <laughs> then it's all been a waste of time. So you've got to have traffic. Traffic is the lifeblood of your business. And that is one of the main areas that we spend a lot of our time in uh, is yep. getting traffic, uh, targeted traffic that converts. And we're going to talk about conversions uh, later. But so there's... So many different ways of getting traffic, but we're going to touch on probably some of the most popular ones at the moment. Yep. Uh, and you, people will get different results from using each of these tools. So it's one size does not fit all. So you've got to experiment and test things before you know. Uh, so probably one of the biggest sources of traffic that most people are familiar with over the last 10 to 15 years is Google. So we'll touch on Google and talk about the different ways we can extract traffic from the Google search platform. So take it away, buddy. Well, so in this section, we kind of go back to the what we talked about in point one is understanding whether, understanding your business and the customer psychology. So are people actively searching for your products or solutions that your your products provide um so i guess we can split these the traffic section kind of into two so yeah the first three probably or the first bunch of traffic sources would be search engines yes so a lot of people think google that's the only search engine but that's actually wrong so well in an e-commerce environment that's not true so in the e-commerce space there would be three main places people go to buy stuff that would be Google or search for stuff. So probably Google, uh, Amazon, and eBay. So when someone's going to buy something online, those are probably the three places they are likely going to search. So then to capture the traffic from Google, then we have three different tools inside Google. We've got Google AdWords, the regular search ads. Mm -hmm. We've got the Google Shopping ads. So the specific type of AdWords that are related to e-commerce with you see the the picture of the product, short description and a price in the Google search results, and then you've got search engine optimization. So yep, those cool. would be the, the three in the Google stack, right? Yep, absolutely. Anything so, I'm missing there? Uh, no. Well, no, no, technically not. I mean, you've got Google Places, but that's, um, that's a separate thing. That sort of would come under SEO, wouldn't it, Sam? Yeah, yeah, I think yep. so. Yeah. Uh, so let's... Let's talk about Google AdWords first um, mm-hmm. because that is paid advertising. So people have the option to go down two paths in terms of organic or free uh, listings mm-hmm. on Google or, or paid. Now, a lot of people don't want to pay for advertising, um, and I, I think that's a, a not a good attitude to have because your competitors are and your competitors are getting traffic that you could potentially be getting if you were in that space. Now, I realize everyone has a, a budget that they have to work from, so you've got to start somewhere, but you need to test this and find out whether the traffic from somewhere like AdWords is, is converting. So, Yeah, and the good thing about e-commerce is you know you, we, there's actually there's no gray yes. area. It's uh, yep. If your Google Analytics is configured correctly, you actually see the sales data in there and then can tie it back to a traffic source. So yeah. 
yeah, I think with this one, I mean, we have clients who are spending five or ten grand a month easily on AdWords and Google Shopping, and we regularly have the conversation that they want to cut the spend. We pull up the numbers, and it's like, well, you're spending five grand, and it's generating fifty. So, are you making profit off that? You tell me, and you know, it always works out that they are. So, I think it's very hard to get past the I'm spending money and I don't want to spend money kind of thing, I think. Yeah, it's not the right way to think about it. You have to look at it always on a return on investment and you will not know if you get a return on your investment until you start testing and measuring your ads. Mm -hmm. So if you don't go down the path of trying this out, you're never going to know and you you could be uh, leaving a whole ton of money on the table the, because you were not willing to experiment with some some paid advertising. So as, as I said before, your competition is doing it and they're just loving it. The less people who want to come in with that attitude of, oh, I don't want to spend any money on advertising, well, they're going, great, more for us. So <laughs> if you stay out of the game, you've got zero chance of making any money from that platform, whereas if at least if you start testing it uh, on a small scale, you don't have to go all in. You can you can start testing very specific areas or just one product and try that and get good at doing that and get good at mastering the AdWords skills or if you if you're outsourcing it to someone else, make sure they're doing it properly and and, and gauge and measure what's working. So mm-hmm. so Ad, AdWords, there's several components to it, and uh, the first and most popular one that sort of started back in you know 13 years ago, 14 years ago, was Google AdWords for search. So everyone's probably familiar with that. They do a search on Google. They see the ads in the top left-hand corner or on the right-hand side. So that's where uh, a lot of people spend their initial uh, foray into AdWords is in that area. Then the other area we have is the display network where people are using advertising banners to appear on other websites that display ads from from Google. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're probably the definitely the most popular. And then we, we sort of touch on the remarketing side of things, which is uh, getting your message back in front of people who have already visited your site and their, their browser gets cookied and then they see ads from you through the Google Display Network. So, so with your experience with Google AdWords, um, do you find you get more traction with the search side of Google ADWords or with the Display Network? How, how are you finding it with your clients? Uh, it depends. <laughs> so search, yeah. usually we'll start with search, um, but it depends on like the display network. So I, I, I guess if you split it into two, the search is about capturing demand. Yeah. The display network's about generating awareness and creating demand. So, um, and it can be used to capture demand, but it's typically, the display network's pretty much like traditional print ads, right? That's Absolutely, the best way to yeah. yeah, very well said. They are two different, completely two different ways of getting in front of a customer. Yep. So, I mean, the search one's easy. That's getting in the search results. Um, so people are obviously looking for something if they're searching. And then the display is your ads will appear contextually. So it's like reading the paper and seeing an ad next to, whatever an article is. So um, when the display network is working well, your ads only appear in in context. So you might be reading about a particular product and then there's an ad alongside it for that product or that service or whatever it is. So Mm. that's typically how the GDN works. So it really depends on what type of product it is as to whether one is going to be better than the other, I think. Yeah, and again, you've got to test that out. And we find we're starting to get better traction with the display network 
because we do get a bit of a wider spread. The good thing with the display network is um, un- unless if you're doing it pay-per-click in, t- in terms of you only pay when someone clicks on one of your ads, the cost for that are typically a lot, lot lower than the cost-per-click for the uh, the search result um, Google AdWords. So mm-hmm. we're finding it quite often it's about 10 times cheaper on average. So yeah. I don't know whether you've, I mean, it does vary, but on, as a rule of thumb, it's usually about, about 10% of the cost of a, a search click. So, yeah. and the good thing is you're, it's creating an awareness, as you said before. So people are seeing your, your product and your brand out there. Even if they, if they don't click on the ads, there's still some side benefit to that. Uh, yeah. but the good thing is if they read the banner, um, and these can be various shapes and sizes that appear, and we've all seen them. Everyone's had some experience with this of, of as a user. Once they click on it, that's the only time you start paying for for that that click. Yep. So that's a good thing. You're not paying. Sorry, you're, yeah, you're not uh, being charged until you actually get a visitor coming to the site. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably before we finish off on GDN, the other one is um, you can use the, the Google Display Network to show ads alongside YouTube videos. So that's one of the most powerful. For us, when like across the board, that's probably one of the most powerful ways to use it. So, displaying they'll either appear. You've probably seen it on a YouTube video. The ads that appear at the bottom that are kind of annoying in a way, but they do work. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. And the cost is is uh, a lot lower. And and that's something we're starting to get into a lot more now. Is the, is the YouTube advertising side of things? And we've actually got someone coming on the podcast in a few weeks time to talk about that who who uh, has a lot of experience with that so we'll uh, that we'll be going digging deeper into that so so that's the google adwords side of things now what about seo uh well this could be hours of a podcast by itself <laughs> couldn't they all we got we don't have hours Right, trim it down to five minutes, Brendan. I know five it's minutes. Hard. All right, probably okay. So for a new, if we had a new e-commerce client come to us and wanted to get traffic, they were a newish business. We'd say do Google shopping or Google product listing ads first because it's cheap, it's easy, turn it on, and the ads start working. Yeah. Uh, from an SEO perspective, and this also rolls into everything else. Um, it rolls into AdWords and conversion stuff as well. Probably my number one SEO tip for a new e-commerce business would be on the product pages have a decent amount of text. So, you know, a decent product description, a couple of paragraphs if you can do it. Mm. Um, and also include, and there are ways to sneakily do this using templates or import and export with um, Google spread, uh, with spreadsheets or CSVs, but include the payment information so what, how people pay for products and how they check out and how that works and the shipping information on the product page. So what that will do is fatten out the product page um, because often product descriptions are really short. Um, so having the, the, you know, the payment info, how, how you can pay for yeah. a credit card, PayPal, whatever, and the shipping info will fatten it out so the page will naturally rank higher because generally pages with more text rank higher. Um, so that would be probably the biggest tip. And also having, if there's a video for the product, uh, have the video embedded on that page. Um, and then from there, the category pages, same deal. Have a blurb on the category pages that explains what the product is, why they should buy from you. Again, brief shipping info. Um, so generally, 
more text is better, video is better, the more you can put on the page is better. And generally, that is one of the quickest ways to start ranking and selling and getting more traffic for an e-commerce business because it'll make having more text makes the AdWords work better and makes the PLAs work better. Um, if people hit a product page and they can get all the information they need to know on that page and just hit the add the cart button, that's a win because often... You know, if you're searching for a product and you land on a website and it has a description about the product, you still don't know what the shipping cost is. You don't know what payment methods they support. So actually having everything they need to know before buying the product on the page is an excellent strategy in terms of boosting conversions and eliminating customer service questions and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason that Amazon has one-click purchase and they patented that years and years ago. And the, the reason is to simplify and streamline the buying experience because I remember, I mean, I've been buying stuff off Amazon for since they first started really from way back in 96 or 97. And, uh, you know, you, every time you went to buy something back then, you had to go and enter in your credit card details and it was a bit of palaver back and forth. And then it got more streamlined and now... You know, you, as, as long as you're logged into your account, you go, oh, look, that book looks really good or that whatever it is looks great. Click, done. That's it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if you can simplify your the buying process uh, as much as possible for the person who's coming to the site, you've got a much greater chance of them actually spending money with you. If the more roadblocks... Like I've been to some sites and I think, do they actually want me to spend my money? <laughs> uh, are they purposefully putting all these things in my way so that I'm not going to get my credit card out and, and buy something? It feels that way, doesn't it, sometimes? So, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, that one strategy that works excellently for us and we're really pushing hard on it this year is taking – well, we've talked about removing friction from the sales process. That's obvious. Yeah. Um but uh, well, it's obvious, but a lot of people still don't do it. Mm. But um, also taking the first step of any sales process and putting it online. So, in a physical, real-world sale at a retail shop, what would happen? So, to making the website mimic that will make it sell better or make it convert better. So, obvious one is the common questions people ask before buying. Have that on the page. Turn it into a buyer's guide. Um, if possible, videos buyer guide that's professionally produced is one of the number one other ways that we can boost conversion on e-commerce website. But you know, take that first step online, and you'll see sales skyrocket. So many e-commerce websites, you hit a product page, and they have like a one-line description for the product, no specs, no information. You know, one photo maybe that's of average quality and low resolution. It's it's crazy. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. So we sort of uh, I went ahead of uh, what we were talking about there and went into <laughs> a, sort of used an Amazon example. So uh, Amazon. Well, the other two, okay. So the other two main search engine traffic sources would be eBay and Amazon. So yeah. people go there to shop. And people don't go to eBay to read articles. They go there to buy stuff. Same with Amazon. Uh, Amazon, they probably look at the reviews and other things as well. But those would be the other two traffic sources. Uh, Let's talk about eBay first because that's a bit more global. So mm. basically selling your products and services on eBay, um, they'll take a 10% cut, I think it is. Mm. Um, it, it differs depending on volume and, and your account, but it's a ready-made traffic source of you know, the, the people who are looking to purchase. So um, if you have an existing e-commerce store, or if you're a retail store looking to get online, that's a really easy way to to test out 
online, even without building your own online store. So um, I would suggest for any established e-commerce business, it's worth testing eBay to see if it works. And they also have a lot of add-ons. They have something called the Global Shipping Program where they have um, – you don't necessarily have to offer international shipping eBay can do it for you. So you click a button and eBay will work out all the charges and everything else. And then when the product sells, they'll give you an address of one of their warehouses to ship it to and then they handle the offshore shipping. So there are a whole bunch of things that eBay does that are quite unique that depending on what your business is may or may not work for you. But it's worth testing, right? Definitely. I mean, far out. I think of the money I spend on eBay. (laughs) It's a a lot. And it's just... It's one of those places that's sort of my default place that I go to. Uh, and quite often I will go and look at other websites that are not, um, that, that don't have products listed on eBay just to yeah. do a sort of comparison shop. Uh, and nine times out of 10, what I can get on eBay is the same or, or cheaper. Um, and because it, my system's all set up, and again, it's sort of relatively, you know, a few clicks and I'm done, and mm-hmm. all, all my, you know, shipping details are, are all in there. So I can buy things on eBay really quickly, and it's just yep. it's just done. It's like it's very similar to Amazon, removed a lot of that friction. Yep. Uh, eBay for me is kind of a – it's like a big department store, right? You can go to one spot, you can search all sorts of different products, and yeah. you know, it's most likely that they're going to have it. It's going to be – may not be the absolute – bargain basement cheapest but you know it's going to be a good price um they've got buyer and seller protection so if something goes wrong you know you're not going to be screwed over so yeah and look it depends on where you are in the world as to what uh, you can get from amazon um like we're in in australia we don't have quite the setup uh that amazon has in in the u.s yeah. Uh, so we're sort of limited with what we're buying within Amazon.com.au as an example. For those who are listening in other parts of the world, it's, it is different here in Australia, and that'll change. And has it is getting better, but typically, you know, a lot of the things we want to get, we would have to try and get from Amazon um, in America, and quite often they don't ship them to to Australia. Yep. So eBay is a little bit more flexible with that because when we're logged into the the store, we're getting access to pretty much everything, and a lot of it's free shipping. So. Um, so it's going to be different, and I, I, I tend to use eBay more for buying things, uh, physical products, and Amazon is still for me buying uh, books or audio books or Kindle stuff. So, yep, yep. So it really just depends on where you are in the world, what products you have, as to whether which of these platforms will be beneficial to you. So you yep. just got to weigh that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Typically, yeah, eBay is more like price. Your price shoppers, department store, whereas yep. Amazon, I think, a bit more like a high-end department store. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so as a as a business owner, uh, e-commerce business owner, it's worth testing eBay. Uh, most popular e-commerce platforms integrate directly with the eBay, so it's pretty easy to publish your products there once you've got your eBay account set up. Um, and it's you know it's another good quality traffic source. Yeah, you're going to be paying them ten percent of whatever you're selling as a you know their fee or whatever, but if you sell more, then it works, right? It's just it's just a numbers game. Yeah. Like it's, uh, you know, take the emotion out of it, test it, run it for three or six months, see how it goes, and you know, make a decision from there rather than deciding before you've been trying it. Yeah, you've got to look at anything like that where you're paying ten percent or whatever the percentage is, as you're giving away part of the profits that you would never have had in the first place. So you've you've got to factor it in. You again, it's an attitude thing. It's like the spending money on advertising. It's part of the cost of doing business. So yep. you're going to be giving away that percentage 
um, and and you should be doing it happily because uh, eBay takes care a lot of the, with a lot of the infrastructure, same as Amazon. So they remove a lot of the, the the blocks of getting to the customer that you would typically have if you were purely just running an e-commerce website. So yeah, um, so yeah, it, it may not be for you, it may not be for your marketplace, but it's very rare that you're not going to have some sort of product that will not fit within the, the Amazon or eBay. Um, models. It's gonna, yeah, yeah. You, you'd have to be something selling something that's banned from there, you know, like drugs or <laughs> something that you <laughs> you want to sell on, on the uh, the black market on the internet rather than on. Brendan can help yep. you with that. He's really good. He's done all the black market <laughs> Thanks, stuff. Thanks. No, he hasn't. No, he's <laughs> clean. He's clean as a whistle. Our Brendan. Yeah. All right. So what have we got next, buddy? Um, well, we're, we're kind of talking about Amazon. So there's two parts to Amazon. Yeah. One is uh, Amazon, where you list your products on there, and then something sells and then you ship it from wherever you are, your store, your warehouse. And then probably the more powerful one is called Amazon FBA or fulfillment by Amazon where you actually ship the product to Amazon's warehouse. Mm. It sits on their product category, just like any of the other products that they actually sell directly. Someone hits the buy button and checks out Amazon, take care of everything. They take care of the shipping, the warehousing, all the, the customer facing stuff. There are some nuances there around refunds and returns and things like that but um particularly if you're not a if you're an e-commerce business outside um the uk or the us that can actually be a good way to break into those markets by shipping a bunch of product there um because it's cheap you know it's cheap to ship a box or um or a pallet of stuff rather than a whole bunch of individual airbags and stuff like that to say us customers so yeah absolutely so I think that's a very, very good point. Um, there is those those differences in terms of uh, where what you're going to be doing um, in terms of Amazon providing the products yourself. I've got a lot of people I know who are using uh, the FBA and having great success with it. Uh, so, and then that that may be what you want to cover or what you want to do there. So, yeah. So I think that kind of covers our three search engine sources, right? So Google, Amazon, and eBay. Pretty straightforward, I guess. Uh, yep, perfect. So now, what was we've got next on the list here? We've got email marketing next, and I put this down as a traffic source because, well, it's not really going to work as a, a brand new traffic source. It's not really going to get you. Well, it, it won't get you brand new customers because they already have to be in your list. But it's return traffic. Return traffic. So it's probably yeah. in terms of a traffic source, it's an amazing traffic source in terms of getting people back to the website. Yeah. Uh, so it needs you on the list in traffic, I think. Definitely, and I think it's underrated completely. Uh, you, you speak to anyone who has an effective email marketing list, and it's basically like turning on a tap. Now you've mm. got to be, you've got to know when to turn on the tap and how to turn on the tap, so you just don't have the tap turned on all the time and um, annoy people and flood them with <laughs> with crap. So you've got to make sure you use it wisely. But you know, it's. One of those tools that if you do use it correctly, uh, you can be very, very particular about when you send out these marketing messages. And uh, we, we see it with clients. We, we, it's so easy to look on Google Analytics and see when they did a marketing um, mail out because yep. they get a, a blip in traffic and conversions. That's you yep. know that's quite usually quite noticeable on the, the traffic flow. So double or triple traffic for two or three days. Yep. around the, the mail out. Yeah. Usually like for the, the ones using it successfully, we see 10 to 30% of revenue 
is generated by email marketing, which is pretty substantial. Oh, absolutely! That if you looked at your whole year of uh, of profit, that's well, that's probably makes up a, a high percentage of it. So, yep, yep. So, and if you're not doing email marketing right now, you think this is a channel that really has no real cost. You, you know, you might have to spend fifty or hundred bucks a month on an email tool if you have a big list. But if you could bump your revenue by ten percent just by you know, it's a little bit of work, but it's not a huge amount of work, an hour or two a month to do a, an email newsletter, really. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty substantial win. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, people are spending so much time focusing on platforms that they don't control, like Facebook and Instagram, etc. They're all great traffic generators, but you, you have so much more control over what you do with email marketing, and you, you own the list. Like yep. No one can take the list off you. So even if you, you know, for some reason, if your email marketing system uh, went bankrupt or shut down or something, as long as you had a copy of, you know, a CSV file of all your people, you can then just take that across to another email marketing platform. So you, you control that list, whereas you don't control your Facebook account or any of these other uh, social media platforms. They control it. We've said this before like a thousand times, uh, don't rely completely on your social media platforms to generate your business. Yep. So use it as a traffic tool. That's what it's there for. It's a, an awareness and traffic tool. Yep. Which then brings us into kind of the second group of traffic sources, which is really the socials. And yep. well, we kind of talked about it already, Google Display Network. So again, if you your people, your customers are not going to be actively searching for you, then you're going to need to generate that awareness and get in front of them. So Facebook, Facebook ads, Google Display Network, Pinterest, Pinterest ads, Instagram, Instagram ads, maybe Twitter as well, depending on what market you're in. So Yeah, you, I, I always say don't discount any social media platform, but don't feel you need to use all of the social media platforms because you literally could go insane trying to do that. Yeah. And it comes down to what we've said time and time again, you, you use the tool that your end user or your target market is using. And if that's where they're spending their time, if they're on Instagram or if they're on Facebook, and that's that's where you need to be. So go where they are. Use the tool that they're using. So then that at least you know, okay, well, I have to use these three tools. Now, you may not necessarily have to use them all at the same time if you're just getting started. Yep. Uh, do step by step because if you try and implement a whole uh, strategy around Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram all at once, you, you, well, it'll end up spending a lot of time. And you want to be able to see what's working and then get really roll out a platform and get it working well. And then you can step into the others once you've had success with the first one. But I, yep. that's my personal advice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. And just it comes back to that the very first point is understanding. Your business and the psychology of your customers, if they're going to be on Facebook, great. But if they're not, if you're a plumbing business, advertising on Facebook is probably not going to be the you know the highest generating traffic source. Google AdWords is. So it's yeah. you know just being realistic. You don't when anyone says you have to be on Facebook or you have to be on Instagram, that's probably a time to check it. And you know, that would ring alarm bells for me because there's no one solution for every business. It's you know it's going to be different for each one. So you're right. Stop not trying to do everything at once. Test a channel, but be aware that if your customers aren't on there or if they aren't on there in a buying capacity, then it's not going to work. Yeah. I mean, look, 
the plumber example is a classic scratch the itch scenario that typically something like Google is the best platform to use because people aren't just going on Facebook going, gee, my uh, pipe is pissing out water at the moment um, and they're on Facebook. Can anyone please tell me a good plumber to use or recommend? No. They're going, oh, shit. You know, so they're, they're on Google searching for emergency plumber or whatever and they they want it sorted now. So Facebook is not really going to be the platform for that. Um, so you need to know your marketplace. Yep. 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 Okay. I think that's enough for traffic, right? We've yeah. covered a oh, lot as, there. as you said, we, we, could, we could technically go for hours on traffic. Um, yep. And probably an episode will we'll dig really deep into some more of those. But. We, yep. we, we do have specific ones we've done before on AdWords, etc. So we'll have some links to the previous podcast soon. Yeah, cool. So our next point, which I think is point number four. four it's is point is, is, is conversion. Conversion, conversion, conversion rate. Getting more of the people to do what you want them to do, and that is in e-commerce byproducts, right? Yes. So we kind of have a list here. We'll just, I guess the you can get really technical with the conversion stuff. This is going to be like the broad strokes. You should be doing this. There's really no debate at all about it. Um, I think it's all pretty straightforward stuff. So should we just run through the list top to bottom? Go for it. All right. So first one is having two payment methods. So uh, probably for most businesses, that would be having PayPal as one payment method and then just a regular credit card payment gateway, something like Stripe as the second method. Uh, And there's a few reasons for this. A lot of Stores, brand new stores, will have a tendency to just offer PayPal, which is not necessarily yep. a good idea because uh, some people don't like PayPal. PayPal's checkout can be confusing and it's really built around getting people to sign up for PayPal accounts as opposed to taking your money. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes gateways break. So uh, we commonly see people having problems uh, checking out with PayPal. So something like, Depending on the client, it could be uh, the numbers could be uh, as big as one in twenty or thirty people have a major problem checking out with PayPal. So having that second payment method automatically gives them a second option to try if something goes wrong or the internet flakes out or they can't remember their PayPal password or there's some sort of PayPal issue. So mm. uh, two payment methods, pretty simple. Um, and also sometimes payment gateways go down. So if you only have one. The gateway goes down. You can't take the money. So, Yeah, absolutely. Have options. So yep. a, a good tip. Stripe and PayPal would be the starting point, I'd say. Yeah, that's the probably the point of least resistance compared to going getting a full merchant account set up through your bank, which is a lot more hoops to jump through. Um, yep. But Stripe, it's amazingly easy to set up. Um, any ones we've set up, they typically, you know, you might spend five, ten minutes setting up. Yep. Um, connect it to your, your bank account and you, you're pretty much done. It gets approved and um, off off you go. So it's a, yep. a lot more options now compared to like 10 years ago. Uh, it, you really you only had PayPal or getting a, uh, a merchant account merchant set up. Account. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So okay. that's good. Next one, we've kind of already talked about uh, having the payment info and shipping info on your product pages yep. and any other information that people need to know or answers to questions they're asking before they'll hit the buy button or, or complete the checkout. I think that's that's hugely overlooked and very powerful and 
very easy to do. It would be a small project to implement that even across a big website with hundreds or thousands of project uh, products. Yeah. Cool. So, and um, make the shopping cart as simple as possible, which is we've mentioned earlier again, it's keeping things simple. Yep. So Removing, just- don't ask for information you don't need to know. Don't ask for a fax number if you're never going to fax them, for example. Yeah. Um, don't make, don't force them to sign up for accounts. Um, you know, allowing them to check out as a guest. Uh, I see that this one's quite common with older e-commerce systems or non-mainstream e-commerce CMSs, where the customer is forced to go through that sign up for an account process before they can check out, which is crazy because we actually want them to check out. We don't really care about them signing up for an account. That's kind of secondary to making the sale. Definitely, yeah. So, yeah, I've had that happen many times. Through, and then I've gone through to go. Oh God, I've got to fill this in. But I actually want the product, and then I go to fill in the the the, the sign up form, and then something on that breaks. So again, it's another roadblock in the way of you getting yeah. the product. Probably my my biggest hack for finding improvements in e commerce websites is just going through the checkout. So you'll find that most e-commerce business owners if they're you know if they're not doing it on behalf of customers they haven't been through their own checkout in a long long time so if you're listening to this go through your own checkout and see what it looks like see how clunky it is see if there's things that are just weird or broken or just shouldn't be there like the other the other one is asking quite often you'll get there where did you find us hear about us from questions and then a big text box underneath on them Kind of a lot of people aren't using that data, so just turn it off. And you can get that stuff out of analytics as well. So yeah, yeah, too true. Get some friends to test it as well. You know, get get a bunch of people that will give you honest feedback just to go through and do a dummy run up yep. to up to the point of putting in their credit card uh, and just seeing how easy it is for them and if they find anything. So yep. okay, next one: abandoned card emails, which we've talked about already. Uh, but basically someone fills up a cart, <clears throat> shopping cart, doesn't, they get halfway through the checkout process or don't check out. The abandoned cart email system will automatically follow them up and ask them what's going on, uh, if they need help or whatever. And you, if you buy a lot of stuff online, you may have seen this. It's usually done poorly though, where the email actually doesn't ask them if they need help. Instead, it just blasts them with a discount code, which is really stupid. Um, yeah, because, yeah, that may have not have, but that you know, some people will go, "Oh, good," and they will take that up. But they, it's, as you say, they still don't know why they abandoned the shopping cart, yeah. and yeah. and that potentially fixed could save a whole lot of uh, future issues of people abandoning the shopping cart from getting that data. Yeah, common things you'll see that we see replies to those emails. Probably the most common one is there was an issue with PayPal. Uh, the other one is couldn't find the shipping info or the shipping was too much. Um, but the, the throwing the discounts out is a crazy thing to do and really bad and you shouldn't do that. If you're going to do it, it should definitely not be the first email. It would be the analogy I use in our workshops to explain it is it's like going to a physical retail store, picking up products off the shelf, looking around and walking out and being halfway down the street and the salesperson runs out starts running after you and just starts screaming at you that they'll give you 10% off and, you know, take it 20% off, 30% off. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the thing is if you send an email through asking 
what the issue was and how you, how you can be of service to fix it, and they respond to you, then you can say, thanks very much, really appreciate your feedback, sorry for the inconvenience, and now we'll give you a 10% discount. You know, you've at least got some information from them, and then there's a reward for them taking the time to fill in that information and send it back to you. So that's yep. my way of looking at it. So as an yeah, end yeah. as an end user, that makes more sense. It's even you know, not not even looking at it as a as from a business point of view, but just someone who's uh, who's had issues with a site. I'm more interested in getting it sold than actually having just a ten percent coupon thrown at me. Yep. Cool. All righty. Uh, live chat. Live chat. One. Yep. One of our favorite subjects, live chat. Mm-hmm. It makes sense for a retail business to have a live chat box on the site. So if, if someone's needing a question answered that the, they want to know something about a product, they can just type in and uh, get the answer straight away. Another, another yep. roadblock has been dropped soon. Yeah. Yeah. Again, coming back to the, the real world analogy. When you walk into a retail store, uh, when someone asks you, you know, if there's a shop attendant who asks you, what can I help you with, then you're much more likely to buy than, you know, how many times you walked into a shop, you get ignored and you just walk out. Like it's the, the, the live chat. Having the live chat with proactive chat turned on is the same as walking into a retail store and having a shop attendant that's friendly and helpful with a big smile on their face asking what they can help you with. Yeah. And that's what it is. That's how you should look at it. And uh, obviously, you've got to have staff attending to that chat um, what, when you've got it switched on, which you can manipulate within the, the chat software. If, if, if there's no one there to deal with it and it's out of office hours or out of business hours, then you, you can make some adjustments. But that's what you've got to mm-hmm. weigh up. If it's an e-commerce site, it's really it's operating 24 hours a day. So... Uh, that is what how, how do you come across well how do you deal with that challenge if someone's they're dealing with an e-commerce site the person could be there at midnight you don't necessarily have staff there how, how do you deal with that with clients well it depends on the business right you've got to test the live chat first and see i think you need to do if you're going to do live chat you need to trial it for 30 days and do it test it like it's a marketing channel right because yeah. live chat Sure, the software is cheap or free or 10 bucks a month, but there's actually real resources you've got to give to that, which the resources are people which aren't cheap. So I think giving it a 30-day trial or a 60-day trial during business hours when it's convenient or when you – it doesn't even have to be all day, right? If you have a customer service person who's available three hours a day, you can test it for that window yeah. um, and see how it works. Like we have – tested it on some businesses and it just doesn't work because customers get on there and want to chat like they're not there to really buy they're browsing and just chatting and chewing up a whole bunch of time and it actually worked better turning it off so i think a test first and then you know see what happens the worst case scenario is you get some customer you get some data and some intelligence around what customers are asking for problems with the website some sort of insight that can help you improve the site or change something or add an FAQ or something or other that will fix that problem permanently, that's you know, a huge long-term win. So test it, watch out for those wins, I think. Mm. Um, and in some cases, if you're running a 24-hour, uh, seven-day-a-week business where you're shipping internationally, it might be worth paying for someone to man it 24-7. There are services that do it. You can get people in the opposite time zone to you to, to do it. So... You know, it's not unrealistic to think that it could be manned 
Yep, good point. So again, you've got to test it and find out what's working for you and then you can adapt from there and expand yeah. on how you use it soon. Yeah, I mean, we tried it for our, uh, for the search engine shop business and we found that new customers, there, there was two things we found. There was a lot of Indian outsourced SEO firms asking questions on it, which obviously are not our target market. Um, and then we found customers were, existing customers were using it for support questions that we would be better off having handled in our ticket system. So um, it from a new customer marketing perspective, it wasn't really successful, um, I guess, exercise running it. So it was a failed test, but at least we knew. We tested it and we gave it a good shot. So Yeah, good point. Yep. Google remarketing and retargeting, which we touched on earlier. Yep. So this is in terms of conversion, you get so many people, probably 90 plus percent people who visit your website who don't take an action and who disappear. Uh, that's pretty common across, you know, generalizing, of course, but pretty, pretty common across most websites. So with remarketing and retargeting, which is a relatively new technology in terms of the last probably five years or so, it hasn't been used very much before that. It enables you to get people to come back to the site. And, and quite often the reasons they, there's many reasons people come to your site and leave. It could be you don't have the right product. It could be they got interrupted or they had a phone call or something happened. And then they sort of forgot about the website. It disrupted their train of thought. So having something that, that pops back up in front of them when they're on Facebook or when they're browsing other websites to remind them about that product or service or website, uh, you can potentially get someone to come back that would have completely forgotten to. Yep. So, but you can also use it for customers. Don't forget that either, that I think there's a oversight. If you have someone that comes to your site and buy something, you, there might be something, they might be interested in buying something in six months' time. So... Oh, absolutely, run, yeah. Using remarketing, you can run ads in front of those people for a new product or a new promo, whatever it is, a Christmas shopping discount, something or other. Yeah. The, the example I use quite often is, say, for example, you're a, a business that sells printers. Someone's bought a printer off you. Uh, then what do they typically need sometime after within the next month or so is printer cartridges. So you can actually have some banner ads rem uh, promoting, even down to the product that they bought, if you wanted to get that specific. And you could say, get your Epson blah, blah, blah cartridges here, um, you know, and, and get them back to the site to get the cartridges from you. So that's, a, a, that's another reference to what you're talking to. Yep. Cool. So, yeah, remarketing, retargeting, basically it's the same thing, just you, uh, termed differently, but... Uh, very, very important and very powerful to use. Yep. Uh, okay, so second last one on the list, um, a buyer's guide with videos. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, this can be, again, coming back to the concept of taking the first step of the sales process online. All those common questions that people ask that you're probably getting asked the same 10 or 15 things over and over again. I wouldn't suggest this for a brand new store. It's probably one for a, an established store that at least has been up and running for several months. But having short, quick answer videos that are professionally done on the website, that important that they're professionally done as well. If they're amateurish, it might hurt the brand um, or your brand perception. But this can be a huge win, huge time saver. 
it's effectively like being there 24-7. Like we, you ask the live chat question, this is a good answer to it or a good kind of stopgap that, you know, having pictures of people or videos of people explaining answers to questions can be a really powerful marketing tool. Yeah, and we're all conditioned to watch videos over, you know, 70 years of television watching or however long TV's been around for uh, and, and YouTube, et cetera. So people are conditioned to watch videos and if they're short, sharp, and to the point, you'll keep their attention um, unless it's a training video that people sort of expect that they're going to have to, you know, give up 30 minutes or an hour of their time to watch. Make sure the videos you have are under a couple of minutes. That's probably the most mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I would say to have them on there for. Yep. Uh, Agreed. Uh, so the last one's photography. Mm. Often an afterthought, weirdly <laughs> enough, about all the things we've spoken about, and you think of you know, a, a, a typically products in terms of e-commerce, that's one of the main things that people are looking at is the photograph and the quality of the photo. Uh, so you've got to have good quality, relevant photography on your website. Yep. And also another powerful one in e-commerce is having photos of you and your staff, like real people, because a lot of people forget that it's not just the products people are buying, they're buying you or your business or whatever it is, the unique edge that your your business provides. So having photos of the, the smiling, happy people in the team can make a huge difference as well. So, I mean, all things being equal, if you've got two e-commerce websites and one looks like it's run by real people and the other one has no people photos at all, the one with the people is going to win, right? So Yeah, nine times out of ten. It'll it'll do it. All all other things being equal, uh, that can often be something that makes the difference. And look, we could say that about all of the little points that we've made here and there. Uh, often it can be the small details that make the big difference. Yep. So, but we don't we don't ever classify photography as a small detail. It's a very important detail. Um, yep. So we'll link to uh, the episode we did with Matt from Photography Project in the show notes, which goes yeah. into way more detail about the why photography. Yep. How to do it. All sorts of stuff about it. Yeah, very, very popular uh, episode, that one. Same. Yep. And number five, the last point is building trust, uh, relationship, and your brand. Yep. So that all ties in with several of the other things we spoke about before. But um, so what have we got to cover on that one? Well, this is kind of a less of a tangible one, I think, is um, you know, the brand, how you're perceived in the marketplace because people will pay more for brands. I mean, you look at high-ticket items, look at Ferrari or Lamborghini, like people are largely paying for the brand or the brand perception there, um, or expensive handbags or whatever it is. So building, it's not something you can do overnight, but building a brand um, can be a key way to stand out amongst competition and people will pay more for the brand if it stands for what they believe in as well. So I think yeah, more sure. of a long-term thing but shouldn't be ignored, I think, there is a tendency for um, people who really want to win online to do things that are short-sighted or short-term, which cannibalize the business long-term, the business and brand long-term. One key one or common one that drives me nuts is people who use or businesses that use email marketing and they email you every single day or they'll send you multiple emails per day, which is just horrible. Like it's, you're just being hassled and that's, it might actually get more sales in the short term, but long term, that's damaging the brand. Like, you know, people are not going to resonate with your brand. You're hassling them. So, mm. unless the only time I would say that that is an exception is 
is if people are signing up for like a daily uh, news tip or something, then they're expecting mm-hmm. to get something daily. But yeah. if you're emailing some something to someone and they have that already in their mind that they know that's what they're signing up for and what you're sending them is consistently a value email, so something they can read and get benefit from, then people don't mind. And sometimes if they're like me, they may not read them every day. Sometimes I'll go back through with some of the email newsletters that I get sent from people and I'll read like a week's worth uh, and I'll skim I'll skim through and go, oh, that's good, that's good. No, I'll read that one. Um, but I don't necessarily read them every day. Uh, but the thing is those people are forefront in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. But what you're referring to, Brendan, is selling, sending annoying emails and pitches all the time and trying yeah. to get people to buy things and not providing any value and your ratio is messed up. You, yeah. Secondly, have- like the used car salesman approach where you kind yeah. of hassle or bully someone into buying. So, I mean, that's you know classic way of cannibalizing a brand. But really, the brand is whatever you stand for. It's the perception people have of you and your you know, it's what people say about your business when you're not in the room, right? So exactly, um, it's important to know what your brand is, to be aware of you know the type of relationship you're building with the customers, and building a relationship with the customers. Like a lot of businesses just don't do that. And email marketing, like we've talked about, is one of the best ways to build a relationship when it's done properly. Um, social media as well, but to a lesser degree because it's less powerful than it used to be because the reach is less unless you're paying for ads. I mean, yeah. I. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, is it is your business more than just shipping boxes? Like, are you just a box mover or are you a business that actually stands for something that customers will buy from you even though you're more expensive than other people? So, yeah, it's kind of, it's not a very tangible one and it's difficult for people to get a grasp on sometimes. But I think it's a long-term thinking what the business stands for. And it's not – when we talk about brand, it's not logos. It's no. – you know more what the business stands for, um, and the the broader. Sure, the design and imagery are part of that, and they you know they're there to support the brand, not to be the brand, I guess as well. So, yep, very true, very true indeed. Okay, well, anything else to add before we uh, finish up on? I think that's quite a lot. Right? Yep, I think if someone can get through that list get a lot of those ticked off, they're doing pretty well. They'll be doing better than most. So yeah. uh, good luck with your endeavours. We're always contactable uh, yeah. in, the, in the the contact box below. Feel free to drop us a line uh, or you can contact us um, on our emails, which we'll have listed here as well. So uh, keep moving. Keep taking one step at a time. But try and have a plan before you go through and do any of this because if you actually sit down and, and think, okay, these are the things I need to have in place and put a plan together of how you're going to action them, then it won't be as overwhelming. And just yep. do and I mean this could easily be easily be twelve months worth of work, right? This is you know, easily easily. Easily. And that yep. and that's why people just need to be a little bit easier on themselves and not sort of get uh, so uptight about it because there's a lot of work to do. And yep. if you take it step by step, like we have shown, then it'll be easier to consume and easier to get implemented, and you won't feel so overwhelmed. So, and we've yeah. we've put it in the sequence that makes makes most sense to us, and that's what we work with on our with our clients. Yep. We don't we don't go right. We've got to work on um, getting people back to your website, and you don't have a website. You know, it's like, well, okay, what's the point of doing that? 
Yeah. So, you know, everything is really logical when you break it down in the step-by-step process that we've put here as a blueprint. So, yeah, yeah. So, thanks for your time, Brendan, and cool, thank you for listening. And we will see you on or speak to you on the next episode. We won't see you. If we could see you, that'd be really creepy. Uh, so, we'll speak to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Business Marketing Show. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher.